Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham. Once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, huge guest from the band Angels and Airwaves, from the band Boxcar Racer, and from the little band known as Blink-182, Tom DeLong is on the show today. And this is a, this is a real interesting conversation with... Arguably one of the most influential people to come out of this thing we call punk rock. More on that in one second. But first, if you'd like to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer, guest booker extraordinaire and Blink-182 superfan, who actually interviewed Tom way back when, when we did a zine that never came out, uh, like in the mid-90s, so... Uh, thank you, Tristan, for making it happen, buddy, and working so hard for this podcast. I love you, my little brother. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram or Twitter at left for damien If you want to support the show, head over to turnedoutapunk.com and pick up a t-shirt. You can also support the show by telling all your friends about it, letting everyone know that you know that we have a podcast over here and we we uh, have lots of different sorts of guests on there. You can also subscribe to it and rate it on your platform of choice or uh, any number, any other ways. There's also a Patreon over there at patreon.com slash turned out of punk. And uh, yeah, so thank you to everyone that does support this podcast each and every week. Well, normally we put up two a week, so, you know, but we're slowing down leading up to episode 400. So, you know, one and a half every week or so these days. I also play in a band called Fucked Up and we will be going on tour, knock on wood <laughs> at some point again. Uh, we also have a bunch of records coming out. You can find out more information about all of that over at fuckedup.cc. Uh, there's show dates and, and information about records that we have coming out on labels like Merge, Matador, uh, uh, Get Better Records, Tank Crime Records, and Fucked Up Records, our own little label. We've got some stuff coming out on that as well. So find out all the information you need over at fuckedup.cc. And that is it. All right, on to today's show. Today on the show, as I said off the top, Tom DeLong, one of the most influential people that we've had on this show. And you don't need to take my word for it. Listen to any episode with anyone younger than, say, you know, 40. And more times than not, Blink-182 was the gateway band that led him into punk rock. And so, the, the you know, Tom is someone that I've actually met a few times over the years, but never really had a chance to kind of sit down and talk to. And I've always been fascinated about how Blink-182 fit in with the ecosystem that was mid to late 90s San Diego punk, which is, is such a fascinating, incredibly rich scene. Anyway, I'm not going to spoil it for you. We'll get to all that stuff in a second. Uh, he's got, as I said off the top, this band called Angels and Airways, and they have a brand new record called Life Forms. Well, it's not brand new anymore, but it is new. And you can pick it up in stores. Uh, Tom has also been uh, heavy work on a bunch of other projects, including a new film that he's directing, which will be out shortly, called uh, Monsters of California. He also has a TV series that he produced called Unidentified Inside America's UFO Investigations on the History Channel. And has started a new media company called To The Stars. You can find out more information about all that on, on the World Wide Web. And, uh, and that is that. I'm not going to ramble on anymore. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Tom DeLong on Turned Out a Punk. 
Tom, thank you so much for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I uh, apologize that I'm not in like my lair up <laughs> in the mountains, you know, but uh, which I don't even have. I used to have a cabin in the mountains. I got rid of that actually, but it would have been a perfect place for this, but I'm in my car. I had other things happening. We talked about dad duties. We've been yes. through that. So, uh, but thank you. Well, no, I, I definitely, as I was saying before, I've been on tour with you. Um, my brother, in fact, interviewed you uh, for our zine way back when, but I've never had the chance to punish you like this. So I very much appreciate <laughs> you giving me this opportunity. Yeah, I, I'm going to try hard not to punish myself. I usually uh, do it do it for the interviewer. Oh, well, I got notes, so let the punishment commence then. Um, I, okay. But I got to start this off the way they all start off, which is, Tom, how'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Well, my brother was a couple years older than me, and he got right way into punk. So he was bringing home uh, the first band. The, fir the first one I really remember was a band called True Sounds of Liberty, TSOL. Mm -hmm. And um, and I remember like he had uh, he had a big TSOL poster he put in his bedroom and he loved their song, a song called Code Code Blue. He's like, I want to fuck. I want to fuck the dead. It's like the, it's like their best kind of business. That's the big hit. That's their anthem. The big hit. That's their <laughs> anthem. <laughs> and like, and he would play this shit. And I was like, you only listen to shit because you think it's cool or like because your friends or whatever. Cause I'm like younger. And I'm all, but that song's gnarly. <laughs> that song's kind of gnarly. Like, but that one again, you know. Um, and so my brother was into this stuff, but it wasn't until like seventh grade that my friend in my street moved up to Portland and I lived in San Diego. And the parents are just trying to keep us hanging because we were like in seventh grade. And so I went up there for like a five day period to visit him when he moved, but he was in school. So I, I was going to hang with him at school just for the fuck of it, then stay with him, you know, skate at night, whatever. But I went to school with him like for one day and it's like the worst. I was like, what the fuck am I doing here? So I just stayed at his house. Yeah. So while I was at his house, um, he had a record player with all of this punk rock vinyl. And I don't know how he got into it, but they had, uh, he had Stiff Little Fingers, um, Dinosaur Jr. Stiff Little Fingers Go For It, which was kind of a later record. Dinosaur Jr. Um, it was the one with like freak scene on it, like a, one of the famous ones. I think the girl with the cigarette. Mm -hmm. And then the third one was All. And um, I forgot which All album was there. But when I heard Stiff Little Fingers and All more than anything, I was just like, wait, what? Like, and he had a guitar as well. So I was playing these couple albums and then picking up his guitar and just going, how does this work? And that, and I was there for hours by myself doing that, changed my life, like completely changed my life. And then I went back and home and just was like freaking on the, on all particularly because uh, I've never heard anything with energy pop punk. Like I was just like, it's like melodic and they're singing about girls and fucking like coffee and shit. Like, but then I found the descendants. Mm. And so as soon as I found the descendants, because of all, when I like kind of started reading about who these guys were and looking on the backs of album covers and trying to like, go, oh, where's this guy from? And it's like, what's cruise records. Oh, it's these guys, but they're from this band called the descendants. What's SS SST records. You know, you follow this little rabbit hole. So when I found the descendants, I was like, fuck it fuck i'm fuck this is it like this is what i'm doing with my life like oh holy shit and then when i found no effects you know and i was like and you could say dick jokes and in uh sorry about that i have people that are calling me on my phone but we're i'm coming back um but i was like you can see dick jokes and like you can like 
fucking laugh on stage and act like the way my friends act when we're out skateboarding. So for me, it was like this crazy cultural, like, like explosion in my life in junior high, finding the right bands, getting deep into skateboarding, you know, discovering that your personality and your humor and your rebellion and your angst and your emotions can, can be celebrated in a tribe, you know? And then that was just the, that, that was the beginning of the rest of my life at that point. It's funny too. Cause like that starter pack that you find, uh, you know, it really does inform your sort of early music that you put out, you know, like it, if I was going to describe what blink sounds like, it's like, yeah, it's kind of like all meets stiff little fingers meets dinosaur junior. Oh, that's funny. Well, I love that you said we actually covered a dinosaur junior that, that freak scene song yeah. briefly. I've seen enough to eye you, but I've seen too much to try you. And I remember we would play that, you know, um, uh, and in high school, it's like my junior, senior year, Mark and I recorded this like in the audio video department, because the only way we could get a recording of us playing any music was if the one of these like nerdy kids let us into his like extracurricular audio AV room at a high public high school where it's like VHS tapes and all the crazy like effects they put on the screen, you know? <laughs> and so that's how we recorded. I think our first music was we went in there and just kind of played freak scene. I think it was something that simple or whatever. I wish I had that video, but, uh, but yeah, blink. So like we got into like the thing of the descendants was it was songwriting, you know, Mm-hmm. It's kind of like what the police did. The police were like a punk band until they realized they were really fucking good. And like they knew all this jazz and reggae shit and they like excelled and, and kind of catapulted to the world stage out of our little scene. And um, and you don't see it that often. You see it a lot now. Like now a lot of punk bands know how to write songs. But back then, you know, each punk band had like a couple really good songs, but the rest, whatever the descendants like had like a lot of really good songs, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't just like two, you know, it was like, wow. And, um, and that really appealed to us because it was interesting. Cause Travis, like, like the band, the bands that the three of us really agreed on more than any band was like Dag Nasty and the descendants or something. Um, it was interesting. Like, we all liked the same bands and stuff, but Travis would get more into hip hop. Mark was way more into the pop punk or indie kind of stuff. I was more into like, I don't know, kind of post hardcore kind of stuff. Um, but uh, I really loved like, how do we make our scene compete with all these big rock bands, mm-hmm. you know? And, and um, that's kind of what I've always been after is, is and, and I, it's taken me a long time. I'm still, I feel, I feel like now I'm getting my head around, like how to do it a little bit better, but um, you know, we're, we're you and I and everyone else. We're all like garage punk rock kids. It's like, it's hard to, we're only, we're only capable of what we're capable of, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But I think that's the thing about this music scene, especially you look at San Diego between the years of 91 to 95, the explosion in scenes that's happening. Like you have your stuff, obviously your scene with like swindle, I guess unwritten law is kind of a part of it too. And agent yeah. 41, I guess, and open fat, like all those bands. But then there's also like gravity records popping off. So talk about post hardcore stuff, but then it's also kind of adjacent to three, one G, which is kind of slightly different. And then rock from the crypt. Like it really feels like, you know, next Seattle, like what was the next Seattle? And it's in retrospect, it's kind of San Diego. You know, like there's just so much stuff that's influential to everything that happens afterwards, you know, obviously from you guys on down. 
You know, it's rad you say that because we, when I was starting Blink back in the day, like, or, or when we were a brand new band is what I should say. Like, um, cause it came long after I was putting this shit together. It was like, once we were kind of up and running and didn't know what to do. Cause we're like just starting, you know, like I remember San Diego was the shit. Like it was the, sh- it, it was, it was the shit because of all the things you said, you have all these, it's like, I, it's funny because we grew up as punk rock kids in San Diego looking at like discord records of Fugazi and all the shit they were doing. And we we're like, that shit's cool. Like that's some fucking people dressing like Spock and shit and like hanging from basketball fucking hoops. Like, like I was like, fuck, these guys don't give a fuck. And, um, and I, and it was so inspirational, but what I overlooked was what was happening in San Diego. And people kept saying, it's going to be like this next Seattle kind of thing. And I looked around and I, and I didn't really buy it necessarily because all those bands hated us. Like mm. I wouldn't say rocket from the crypt hated us or whatever, because there, uh, I mean, fuck, I played with Adam years later in angels and airwaves or whatever, but, uh, but like, it's just such a different scene. I mean, we were assholes. I mean, every song and every time where we didn't play a song, it was about fucking each other's dads and like maybe the dog. And like, I mean, but we were like, we identified with gutter mouth and the vandals and no effects, you know, like we didn't identify with any kind of anything that was pretentious because we, 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 we didn't visual, we didn't sense at all that, that we were like cool and smarter and like clever, like, we weren't, we weren't bright eyes, <laughs> you know, like we were like fucking, we would, we just took the piss out of all, we thought that shit, we thought all that kind of shit was so stupid. I mean, now I love it all, but th- back then I was like, ah, this, is fucking, this shit sucks. This shit sucks. You know? And that was the charm. Like we did not give a fuck and we would take any chance and we were good at it. Like to make people feel pretty stupid about how serious they took themselves, you know? Um, and so we didn't fit in to all these bands in san diego and matter of fact just to give you an idea the guy that started cargo records this um this this kind of big older dude with beard um and like his son brought a blink demo tape to him and goes i want you to put this album out or or sign this band or something and the guy said no way and on the time he had drive like jehu he had fucking rock from the crypt he had like all these core like fishwife and tanner and fucking like the headhunter bands, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, all that crazy shit, yeah. like really kind of Fugazi-ish kind of stuff, but San Diego's version, like really cool, like yeah. really emotive and screamy and rad. But in any case, here we are singing about dicks and whatever the fuck we want, because we thought it was funny, you know, we're skateboarders, you know, so, um, and so, uh, so he brings this album into his dad, he's all signed this band, and the guy, I kid you not, I didn't know this, the owner made a bet with his son that we would never sell more than 3000 copies ever <laughs> of anything, you know? And I honestly don't blame him for that bet. If you listen to our first album, the demo Buddha shit, or even the Cheshire cat one that we recorded in three days. I mean, it's people love the nostalgia of it, but, and I can, I think back then people hear that there's like potential in the band and so that shit was pretty rad, but so poppy. And we're trying to figure out like mm-hmm. who we are or whatever. Um, but he like he bet against us you know and and we were like the main reason i think one of the big reasons why universal came in and bought that record label oh you know and then we ended up staying over there and the the rest is kind of history but everyone was kind of against us we didn't really fucking blend into anybody we were outcasts 
I guess is that why there's grilled cheese records? Because there's Headhunter, which has yes. all those bands, and then you guys are on grilled cheese, which yes. has <laughs> because they would not share that label with us because we're fucking we're singing. I mean, we had a song called Benoit Balls, you know. Oh, I remember. I know, I know. Just, just about <laughs> done with your butt. We'll let you know. <laughs> it's like that's one of our songs. I pulled that song up the other day, like I was just playing it. And we're in there like we're fucking 17, 18 or whatever the fuck going just about done with your butt. We'll let you know. Hey, just about done with your <laughs> so stupid. And I, we were just laughing so hard um, at doing shit. I remember recording Cheshire Cat. This is funny. We were in there's like a small studio with a fucking glass window and this expensive mic. And Mark and I were in the window like doing singing at the same time to cut back on like hours of time in the studio. We couldn't afford anything. And so the dude named Jeff that owned this fucking studio crazy hair comes out like this he's a hold on a second he's turning around from the window which is just like a waist high kind of window thing he turns around from him and he's fucking with the compressor and i, I hit mark real quick he's yeah i we don't have this we're like telepathic in this time he just drops his pants and underwear completely off turns upside down so i'm holding both of his legs with his dick just fucking hanging out and like looks like like something's melting right and so the guy turns back around to the window and all there is is his legs bypass. It's just a dick. Like, I mean, it's like, it was, and he, he got so mad. He goes like this. He goes, that is an expensive microphone. <laughs> and, he, and he got all pissed. Right? He said some other shit. So I remember I had to slowly let Mark's legs somersault down. Mark had to pop back up. And he said, lean down, pull his underwear on first. Find his <laughs> pants and put his pants on and zip up his zipper. I mean, the whole fucking thing was so funny. Like. It's all awkward for like three minutes as he's trying to cover his dick back up. <laughs> but I don't know. Well, that, th these guys are older people, right? Like, like you know, John had been through Pitchfork by this point. Like, these are older people. You guys are like, like you're saying, 17. Doing Dude, we're so young. I mean, we don't identify with any of that shit. Like, guys like John and those guys were like, those are like real artists and they're cool. You know, they were real cool, you know, and we were like, can we shut the power off to of this building you know it's like it's like it's a different mindset you know like yeah we don't even think of ourselves as cool or whatever but we're like but we will laugh at you and we will fuck with you you know like that was what it was always on our mind is how do we fuck with all these people that think they're really cool but we never thought that we were cool for it it's just kind of how we were you know it's kind of interesting it's weird i guess like the other thing that comes up like when john was on the show he talked about how violent san diego was and a lot of people have talked about how san diego is actually more violent than la was even in the mid 80s like i guess when your brother's getting into this stuff that violence is still around but by the time you guys are playing these shows had that kind of subsided was there a no uh there we had good a lot of good shows that were fine and violent free but we had a shit ton of violent shows i mean in the early days of blink because we were so obscene um which by the way that is a good thing it's fucking awesome took a lot of pride in that um we had a lot of skinheads at our shows like a lot like because we're tiny and back in the day you know punk was exploding this is second generation of punk i mean you could say it was the third generation because the 70s whatever but in my mind there's this kind of era very late 70s to like you know to the 90s it's like this 10 year kind of thing where you have punk rock kind of explodes and there's branches off into like new wave and does a bunch of different things or whatever but when the 90s hit and then it's like this whole second generation of stuff happened punk is getting really big and the ethos of punk rock not everyone really knew what those were and people got attached to this idea that being on a big label or being like popular 
is somehow makes the music not good or something, you know, it's just, it's just immature stuff. But as a kid, you're fighting for an identity and you want to hold on to what's yours. It makes you feel good. So you're like, fuck you. Like I got, I don't want to share it. You know, I get it. I, I get it. It's immature, but it's like, I was kind of that way, you know, um, too. But in any case, so when we we're first starting, we we're because we were so obscene, but we were kind of good, maybe, I don't know. And we were tiny all the gnarly punk rock kids would come to our shows. Like we were the cool thing um, for a minute. And that just created a lot of fucking issues. And then when the band started like really like selling out clubs, like, you know, it's almost like I imagine a band like Turnstile or something now, right. Where there's a lot of energy packed into a club and they're popping kind of, you know, it's like, I remember that would happen. And and there was always fights, like always fights and like little riots and shit. And it was always the worst when we were touring with Unwritten Law because we would share a van with them. And those guys would fucking fight each other. I mean, I don't even you don't even know, like, like if they're not going to fight the fucking bouncers, they're probably going to fight each other. And but either way, someone's getting punched in the fucking face, you know, and I remember so many times. I mean, Wade, the drummer is a fucking madman. That guy's thick and he's so fucking funny. He's so funny, like. He's it's so funny. I mean, one one time this guy that owned the venue was walking by with this big crate of glasses, like the ones you put in a dishwasher at bars and restaurants. Yeah. And he tripped and we're loading in. And so we sat down to have like a burrito or something. And we're with it's in Florida. And this guy walks and he trips and all the glasses break. Just some sorry old dude. I remember Wade goes, smooth move, asshole. Like right to just as he's eating his burrito, and this guy's like 20 feet in front of us, you know, and you're like but we couldn't stop laughing because the way he did it, he just laughed as he, it was such a, he was such a dick, but it was like the best kind of thing, whatever. But then he would be at a show. And I remember the dance hall crashers were like playing and he really liked the singer of dance hall. Um, one, one of the girls and bad religion was playing. So this bad religion fan was like fucking screaming at her. Like, fuck you, you bitch, you pussy, you fuck you. And all this, you suck. Just relentless. So, so Wade, just walks through the barricade, just knocks the guy's teeth out of his fucking, knocks him out. I mean, this guy, I, boom. And he goes to the back of the fucking venue with a bloody face and it's quiet for the rest of the show. And I was like, that's what you get, motherfucker, like being an asshole. So you kind of have these guys that like, they're wild and the violence was happening. But it's like, it was, you always felt like it's for a good reason. I mean, one time these bouncers in Florida were, kids were always staged diving i mean the pit circle pits were fucking everywhere obviously and like this girl gets on stage and the big tough shithead bouncer like throws in her headlock and somehow throws her to the ground or off the stage like by like in the gnarliest way a girl a teenage girl so wade in the middle of the show he's playing sees this just throws his sticks jumps over his drum set grabs this guy by the face and throws him off like a 10 foot fucking ledge into the barricade 2000 people and it was so gnarly i said holy shit that was that guy might have broken every rib in his body but he's really big and i have a feeling this is really bad and but i kind of feel tough right now but then all the crowd they all left it was like the end of the show and then fucking uh we're stuck there loading out and that dude shows up with all of his buddies and they're all big. These are like yeah. bodybuilder, like yeah. fucking Jersey shore type dudes or something, you know? So we had to sneak out this back door, broke a bunch of bottles and ran to our van and jumped in the van and peeled the fuck out. <laughs> Cause these guys are showing up with baseball bats and stuff. I mean, but that was like common. 
I mean, my first tour was seven seconds, fucking giant riot, like giant riot. I was in the pit the whole time and they're playing whatever songs they're playing at the time, probably 99 Red Balloons or one of those old famous ones they had. And like, next thing you know, the bass player is hitting the bouncers on the head with the fucking guitar, his bass guitar. Just, I mean, all the time because there's so much angst, you know, even if the songs were about like weird, stupid shit, you know, it's uh, kids need to let their emotions out. Well, I think it's something unique almost to the West Coast and especially Southern California where like bands that have, you know, like kind of like a fun or kind of at times silly vibe to some of their songs like Manic Hispanic or, you know, these bands, Gutter Mouth, like these bands attract some of the gnarliest crowds, you know, yeah. like, some of the toughest people go and see these bands like and it's yep. it, it goes back to the Dickies too. like your stories about the Dickies yeah. playing and people getting knifed at the Dickies. I think Fat Mike's got a story about that. I'm sure it will. Fat Mike has a story about everything. He was, he just told me that story he told me was, <laughs> he's so gnarly. His, the last story he told me that wasn't that long ago was fucking, he went to a Gigi Allen show. And I'm like, what the fuck would you go to? Why would you, why would you go to a Gigi Allen show? And he goes, dude, so we find out where he's playing. He's all, we go to this like weird building and the show is in the basement. So there's one ladder that goes down a hole into this concrete cinder block room. And I'm going, do not tell me. He's all, yes. He's all, as soon as they started playing, poo just starts flying. And the mad rush to get to that ladder was not working because <laughs> no one can get out quick enough. And it was like a full bottleneck terrorist situation, poo going everywhere and vomit. I'm like, dude, you got everything you deserved. Fuck it, whatever diseases fucking that came from that. Don't go in a basement with Gigi Allen. I mean, who would do that? Like, but Fat Mike was laughing about it. He's like, I was gnarly. <laughs> I think everyone just thought it couldn't be that real. You know, like John Casper right. from the Doughboys was on talking about Gigi showing up with a paper bag with just some laxatives in it as his only piece of luggage when he played Montreal. Imagine if that's your fucking like hook. Like that's what you're good at. Imagine like you that's what everyone it. knows you are. People are coming, not for the chorus. No. They're coming for the poo. <laughs> Is he going to do it? Is he going to throw poo at me? I got to see this. You, know? you hope they stay for the chorus they come for the poo they stay for the music they stay for the chorus i like that <laughs> um, that's good i guess like the like the kind of like if if san diego was the next seattle the jack and dino would have been oh right like he's the guy who kind of links all this stuff oh yeah oh is still like dude if i go to a, if i go if i have to like take a piss and i stop by at an outhouse and i walk in he's probably in there going hey what's up and like he shows up everywhere oh is like omnipresent but he's one of the raddest guys. He's just such a great grandfather of fucking. And I don't mean that in an age way, just like that teddy bear way of like, so believing in so many young bands and being so positive and just, just dope. This is a really great guy and very influential. Like I was a big olive lawn fan. I, I, I should listen to that shit again. Like and fluff, uh, fluff and olive lawn. And fuck. I loved all of his old albums. You would say like, stereo <laughs> you know like hi-fi like he did all he always did all the fluff records i gotta listen to that. i haven't listened to that shit in so long I'm so glad you reminded me of that he's got a great label like the stuff he put out like 16's first seven inch like rock from the crypts early records like he he's got a great ear for oh shit i don't even i don't think too. i even i don't even think i knew that i knew he was involved with so many things but with us yeah when we met him we were big fans of him we were like can you help us and he came in and helped us fix a recording over a couple of days and and he just, just did it really quick and and simple and he got us on track and uh and that was our first album cheshire cat our first kind of real album you know mm -hmm. kind of thing mm -hmm. 
I'm so real. It took two and a half days. It was fucking super real. I guess going back to that first demo tape, you guys cover longest line and freak scene on it. You know, did we really? Yeah. There's like a, did a we cover song. the no. That is too funny. I can't believe we did. Well, it, Holy shit. And it's amazing going back and listening. It's on YouTube now. You can go back and listen to this tape. It's like, I don't even remember that. I knew we covered freak scene, like in a garage. I didn't know we recorded it though. That's the thing. I don't remember. I thought we did something on video. I wonder if it's the thing we did on video. It got it, transferred to, I don't I know. It says on the liner notes, um, because like, obviously, you know, the fans of your work are so granular with their knowledge on this yeah, stuff. Uh, yeah. Um, but so there's liner notes scan. It says recorded in Scott's bedroom. And it's like a, a five song demo, okay. ten song demo. And well, it was a fly swatter thing. It's a it's an eight track recording. Yes, I think. that's it's, it. It's that's like, it. Yeah, I just didn't remember what songs were on there back then. That we used to have the weirdest songs. We had a song called Lunch, <laughs> only so we can say let's do lunch. Like whenever we were actually, you know, so I don't remember really everything we did back there, but back then. Well, it's interesting because like you know, like I was trying to think about you know earlier today what label would you guys have made sense on because like until you signed to obviously mca like it's not like you would have fit into fat records because there is i guess it's that dinosaur junior kind of sound to it there, there is that kind of like it doesn't have that same sort of metal that influenced a lot of the fat bands in, in your yeah system. i think the propaganda and lag wagon kind of had a little bit of that metal technicality i think for us it's a really good question i mean you know if sub pop was still firing could have been interesting mm -hmm. sst obviously cruise records would have been really great for us because big drill car all um there's a lot of cool like pop punk world stuff there we it is interesting though it's hard to say because we 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 very we weren't sure we almost signed to epitaph before oh, really? mca records uh though we we had the choice to go to a major but on epitaph rancid and offspring were like killing it that religion was too but like this is like outcome the wolves and this is ignition and all that shit everything's firing so we had a really i mean brett was killing it at epitaph and so we had like this great offer and it was really hard for us because everybody at epitaph felt like us they felt like our tribe like those are the people we hang out with like why would we go over here to a major and everyone's in a suit and shit and they're all like your best friend it's like weird but we took it really seriously and we just bet on ourselves. We just, we kind of thought like we didn't totally match with everything at Epitaph because we, I don't know. It's like, it was all this kind of bad religion, kind of edgier punk fat records was more like kind of some of the metally stuff, but funny, but really, I don't know. Like lookout records was two Ramones. Everything was like all the Ramones, you know, like, yeah. I don't know where we fit. Yeah. It's like, it's weird. Like, it's not that we have to sound like the bands that are there, but you can see the scenes like built around these labels. And we always felt that we, we were like a little bit of multiple scenes, you know, like we wanted a song that sounded like lookout records, but we also wanted something to sound like fat records and epitaph. But I was a huge Fugazi fan and discord was like the coolest thing ever. So I wanted to be a little bit of all that. Um, you know, I don't know. Yeah, because it, it really is like when you try and fit it in like that, because everyone did have, you know, as much as every band's unique in these labels, but like like you're saying, there are kind of these these sounds that are there and you guys kind of have Yeah, they're like thing. branded, you know? Yeah. They're like yeah. they're like branded. It's like a thing, like you know, it just it's kind of also yeah, it's an it's an identifier of of who your band is too, right? You're like yeah. 
I'm with Brett and I'm bad religion over here, you know, or I'm with Mike over here at, at fat records. It's like, it's interesting. It's cool though. I mean, the, everyone's really cool to each other and, and it's super familial, you know, and that's really what mattered most. Well, it's almost like sex of Christianity at that point where you had to kind of like choose your allegiance. And so were you a lookout type kid? Were you an epitaph type kid? Or were you a fat records type kid? Or were you a gravity records type kid? Like it went all the way down, right? Like a discord. Yeah. Kid. And I guess it's because you only had so much money, right? So you had to like That's a good point. tithing to like the one church. And that was the only church yeah. you could go to. Yeah, yeah. And also too, information wasn't as readily available. So it's like, like you get it, you buy an album and you start reading all about epitaph and that's about all the time you got, <laughs> you know, that's about all the money you got too. So it's like, you're not buying records everywhere and getting super, some people are obviously, but, but yeah, it's, it's kind of things move slower. Now it's like, gosh, the world's so different because of the internet, you know, and, and how crazy it's been in the past 20 years, but. Well, it's level. Right. Well, yeah, because that's yeah. Thing, like, it was, you guys were Canadian huge before obviously the world kind of caught on, I think like because of snow jam. And because of that Snow Jam compilation CD, where Eminem was on that, yeah, and that's right. That was that was you know boombox gold back in the day at parties because that was you know you couldn't get these records. So this compilation was the only Blink song you could find because the record store didn't necessarily carry cargo stuff. Yeah, what song was it? was that? The Eminem song? Yeah, there. I remember when we put out that song on that comp. Yeah, it was like a big fucking deal. Like we like it was weird. Like you're it's what you I remember that the compilation albums were so such a big deal. Like mm -hmm. they really like created huge growth for us at the time. Now you're all it's just like a playlist, you know, but back then that mattered, you know, because there weren't playlists, you know. So so uh when you see an album that has songs from every band, the only way you can and they're no those bands aren't on the radio. So it's yeah. the only you can and you don't have the money to buy, you know. 10 different albums so it's like those things really matter that, that i'm glad you brought that up like I, the compilation albums are a big deal and they're kind of like a great equalizer in that way because like you know grilled cheese records didn't have the distribution of epitaph or maybe not the right. reach of fat at the time but you know your song pops on a compilation placed against all those bands like you know it's kind of like i guess in the same way that we all have theoretically equal access to the music world now through streaming it's kind of like a compilation was that equivalency then like you listen to it and the song that stuck out to you that you're like oh that's the band i'm going to check out that's the band I'm going to yeah it really it is it's cool too because it, it when you listen to a compilation like that it is interesting because there's a really good song of a band that you've never really heard of and it stands up next to like a no effect song you instantly go that band's like gnarly like i yeah. went from no effects to this band and they're both rad you know and so it's like kind of that that kind of an idea and i that's why i think it's so important it really let bands play in bigger waters sick of being upsold at gyms my guy you're currently a base member for 90 dollars more i can upgrade you to our shred membership for 130 more you'll be a swole member and for just 300 more you'll reach sweat platinum at Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. So what was the first show you remember going to, like punk-wise? Even, even uh, dead, probably Dead Milkman. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they're funny. And they're yeah. rad punk rock girl you know yeah um and after that i was like the energy and the lights and the pits and like 
just guys in shitty, stupid t-shirts, like in the audience, it's funny. Like, I, it's just rad. I, I, I remember that I was supercharged. And then and when I was younger, the best show I went to though, was right when punk was exploding. I was like a senior in high school and it was, um, no effects was headlining. Uh, offspring was support and then face to face was opening or something like that. Okay. Yeah. It was like a crazy rad bill, like right in the heart of, of exploding nineties punk rock. Um, it was just chaos. And it was at that point, everyone's throwing shoes at fat Mike was like, you know, he's always had this issue with people throwing shoes up there. And, uh, and they were so funny about it. It was just like a really cool, I remember going, I'm doing this for the rest of my life. I was 16. I'm like, I'm doing this for the rest of my life, whatever this is. Well, it explodes in Southern California first, I think, before it explodes. Like, because that's before Offspring obviously had Smash come out, right? So, yeah, I, this is early on. Yeah. Southern California was, well, because Southern California is like what you had was everyone's into action sports, right? Everyone's skateboarding or surfing. That means they're all into punk rock because you don't go listen to Phil Collins if you're going to go ride waves or fucking like, you know, like, um, so it, it was merged. So you have this culture that's that's very much about blue hair and breaking bones <laughs> as by day and and having the adrenaline at night, you know, at a show. And uh it and it it spread so quickly because of that because all the surf videos, all the skate videos, you know, like the explosion of skateboarding and and just like it yeah, Southern California really like just took over the world for a handful of years. I remember playing like Blink when we were kind of popping in the beginning. I remember we went to like Scotland and it was like so foggy. It looked like fucking Braveheart. And you'd see like all this fog in like a fucking black cathedral cross sticking out of the fog up high, but you don't see the rest of the cathedral. Well, where are we? But around the block, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids to get into the place early all had like Hurley shirts on <laughs> like red, yellow, like straight up like fucking Huntington beach colors, you know, like, um, and I was, that, that was the time I go, wow, Southern California has really made a mark across the world. I mean, this shit is like gloomy out here and everyone's wearing big, bright skateboarding t-shirts and shit, surfing t-shirts. Well, I find it fascinating when it hits Sweden. Right. And then it's like, you have this sort of like trans posing of the Southern California sound to Sweden and all these bands, you know, like satanic surfers, Mill and Colin kind of doing the Mill same sort of thing. You know, it's funny about Melancon. Those guys are so funny. One time we were so tired on the warp tour in Europe. And I took one, I forgot which get which dude, but I when he was fell asleep, I grabbed his passport and I cut out the perfect picture of a boner, a guy's dick boner, and put it perfectly on his passport picture. So it's like perfect. You shut the passport and put it back in his bag. We fucking land in another country at like five in the morning. Everyone's so ripe. Like our hair is all fucking crazy and everyone's got bad breath and we're like, immigration and like i was right behind him and i was like i do not know what's going to happen right now but i'm so excited he gets up to the immigration guard he's so tired and the guy goes passport please and he goes and he, he pushes the passport forward and i remember the dude the, the immigration officer officer grabs it he goes and he just goes eyes are going back and forth he shuts the passport and he pushes it back to him and he just does this and i remember the guy in was just like what and he grabs the passport and the guy and he opens it up and he goes, oh, like this and he's like ripping it out of his passport that's about as exciting as it got but for me i was like i felt like i won world war three which is happening right now we don't want to reference that we want to keep we want to keep it happy but like at the moment i was like felt victorious you know <laughs> like the little thing like that but that's whenever you say melancholy 
I think of that moment. Yeah, no, it, it, they're definitely. It's it's amazing how that moment where everything's like a worldwide, it's exploding worldwide. Like I guess another thing I wanted to ask you about was like Warp Tour '99 because I remember that was a moment where you guys it had you guys were you know it, it happened. You guys had exploded obviously in the underground level, but hadn't really hit that next level on the mainstream level. And there was, seemed like there was a lot of animosity. I even remember a much music interview where the VJs like openly challenging you guys at that time. Did, was that like a tour? Did you feel that on the tour at the time or is that something? Well, we, I, I can't, if I remember that tour, the, anim, the, the blink got a lot of, uh, we had issues with more like anybody that's PC. I mean, cause there's a lot of PC coming out of the Pacific Northwest. Um, you know, like I remember one interaction with modest mouse, like we were up on stage and they were, we're playing this big like radio festival. We're just starting to kind of get put on these things. And we didn't know why, you know, we're sitting here going, really? I mean, does, has anyone ever seen us play? Do they know what we say? You know? And so we get up there and we just do our thing. I mean, we're thinking we're tame because Mark from Guttermouth is like lighting drumsticks on fire in his ass on stage. So when we talk about the shit, we, we don't think it's that big of a deal. You know, we're not on fire What the fuck you. So we're up there saying stupid shit and thousands of girls are showing their tits like thousands like do you uh, see a boobies and we were like so stoked because we're like whoa like <laughs> this is rad like oh my god but those guys thought it was really shitty you know those guys are much more advanced than we were because they're thinking of like you know they're just thinking social justice matters <laughs> in their heads not to we don't fucking know we got pink hair and shit like i i i, I it just of course we, we don't objectify women. We just are happy that they're giving us attention for the first time in our life, you know? But, um, so I remember, so we're playing and then like this dude gets on the mic comes up and takes the microphone, this big old guy with big beard and tattoos and a big brimmed hat. And he's, I, I remember, I'll never forget this. He goes, and we're standing there with our guitar. We don't know who he is. We thought he was a fan. He's going to blink one at HL, you know, and jumps to say he didn't, he goes, I, these guys are fucking assholes. And, and, uh, and he goes, I remember he goes, I, if you, I thought Harvey danger, we were assholes. And I was like, Harvey danger. I had like one big song at the time. And he goes, but these guys are even bigger assholes. And then he gets taken off. And I was like, Oh shit, that guy was serious. And then we got in the bunk and Mike, we were laughing because Mark, Mark starts imitating him. Like he's a pirate. Arr, these guys are arseholes. Arr, you know? And then they got really mad. Had to take the guy off. And I found out he was, he was like a roadie or something of modest mouse guys. He's so we get off the, What's that? His name's C Six Steve. He ended up having huge hits in England uh, later on. Like I just only found out about his connection to Modest Mouse the other day. Someone was on the show and was like, "Oh, uh, David Bazan from uh, Pedro the Lion told me the other day about him." Like I had no idea, but yeah, I don't know. I no one's ever told me. Or I don't even know how you would know who the same guy is. But if it is the same guy, it'd be interesting. I don't know. Yeah, he had, I, he ended up having hits later on, but he was like a Modest Mouse roadie that ended up having like BBC radio kind of like funny morning show kind of hits as like see kind of shantyish songs and weird so, i don't well, know we about this off, recently i get off stage i'm sweating and i'm sitting down on the curb behind the stage and one of the guys in modest mouse comes and sits next to me and he's like you know you, you guys are good you don't need to say those things you don't need to do those things you know i just don't know why you guys push it so far and i look at him i go we're punkers man that's what we do <laughs> I'll never get my we're punkers it's what we do you know and I just thought I had so much pride in that statement because the whole PC thing to me was 
I have much more compassion now. I mean, I'm a little bit wiser to understand why those things happen in society, but that's not, I came from a broken family. I got kicked out of high school. I grew up around a lot of fistfights, a lot of bad people. Um, the, the rebellion was, was vicious in me, you know? So. Well, it's also like, it's something where it goes from you're in a room of people that know better, you know? And then all of a sudden you're in a room full of people that don't necessarily know what's going on. And like, yeah. And it's, it's weird to be in it. Like, obviously my experience with it was a monochrome of what you guys experienced, but I just felt like there were things I was saying and certain things that references I was making that I was used to being in a room full of people that they got them. And then all of a sudden yeah. you put on a stage where you're people don't get them. People don't know what you're talking totally. about. And it's, and you have to grow up in front of people. That is exactly what happens. That's a really good point. And, and we do like now it's like, you understand how words hurt, hmm. you know, people in communities, that are totally underserved in whatever way or version. And now we have a much greater respect for, you know, people's identities and what they're going through. And I mean, or even all the underage, like pedophilia shit that's going on and like people that are just being taken advantage of, whether it's the, uh, their sexual identity or like maybe their ethnicity or, or the religion, like we all kind of are understanding the scope of that kind of shit like that hate and that negativity now where back then it was so new like it's funny you would use words like back then that obviously we don't use now and it's funny like you we it never even occurred to anybody that it really will tear them down and hurt other community or like you know what i'm saying it's like it's not even connecting now it's like oh my god it was like we but everyone has to be educated it's no different than a child that like you're saying don't go touch the fire you know and then they don't know why until they do and they go oh yeah you're right what you told me it's like they have to learn a lesson i think we all have to learn at some point in our lives you don't grow up knowing how to be super compassionate and like respecting everyone's viewpoints it's like you have to be kind of like pushed in that direction as a child and my family fucking didn't push that you know i didn't know any better so you grow up in front of people like you said yeah there's a lot more understanding hopefully now and a little more compassion um, from people that we are yeah you know. well i think it's cool i think it's fucking punk just as rebellious and punk to fucking to stand up for people you know to do good things i think it's cool to be a good person i mean it literally is cool it's like it's it's kind of hard like so that was something that really got burnt into my head over the past 15 years like it's fucking cool to have compassion for people and to do something good you you don't get cool points for just dressing dark and singing songs about how pissed you are at your parents and all of a sudden like yeah it's like you're it's kind of it's to me that became very shallow you know it became like those words just rhyme <laughs> and it sounds like i'm angry it meant that's why in, even in angels and airwaves like i spent so much time singing about love because honestly as pissed as i was or as hurt as i was uh, it's like if you were alone in a house dealing with something tragic, you just want love, no matter who you are, you know, you want to have someone that loves you. I mean, everything in life is, is about love or the absence of love. And so when I got angels and airwaves, I felt it was super true to my roots to be super authentic. Mm. And the authentic part of me would be like, I want to make this life experience magical for myself my family my friends and anybody else i have the chance that's really what i feel but if i wasn't going to be authentic and really put myself out there i would 
keep wearing all black and I would act like I'm just pushing back against the world. And every single song I write is like, you can't control me and I'm in charge of this. You know, it's like the reality is, is like the way I feel is like, fuck, man, like I got your back and we got to like work together and make this place. We can rebel and we can be pissed and we could break shit but we want to do it for the greater good somehow, you know, and, and direct it in a way that's positive because negativity breeds negativity period. And I don't think anybody that's angry really wants their house burning down their friends dying, you know, like their kids getting cancer, you know, Mm -hmm. like everyone wants to feel happiness, no matter how angry or pissed they act like throughout the day. So to me, it felt like the truer thing with angels as I grew as a songwriter to really be very specific about that, I guess. I don't know if that makes sense, yeah. but. Well, I think it's amazing how to a person uh, from doing this thing for so long, you're like how many people are drawn to punk that are, are need it, you know, cause they have this sort of damage that they're. This you know, all stuff. of us, right? Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. And it's, it's either, uh, you know, there's definitely people that are drawn to it, unfortunately, because they're predators looking to prey on people that are drawn to this thing. But there's all, but for the vast majority of people, we're all just like, broken people looking for we are and we're looking for a tribe and we're looking for people to say yeah we see the world similarly you know it's like because if you go and have coffee with some dude that works at verizon it might not be the same conversation as if you went to and had coffee with like you know one of the guys in the queers or something you know like go you know what was like what was it like in the band where'd you grow up in and it'll be the same fucking story you went through like to a T to the most part, you know, I came from a shitty area. I had these shitty things. I felt shitty about myself. I heard this music and I met more people that liked that music. And then we were a tribe and then we went to these shows and whoa, our tribe is like really big. We didn't even know it. Like it's everywhere. You didn't go to the warp tour and it was celebrating that tribe, you know? And yeah. And that's so good about the scene, I guess. And, and I hope that that scene is, is growing again. It seems like it might be. Yeah. Like, I think that's the thing. It never dies. Right. Like it gets to, it's amazing how, you know, once again, through doing this thing, how many kids have come on um, that their gateway point is you and you guys like that's it's, scary. But no, but that but it's, sure. you, you need those flare ups. You need that thing to happen. You need those on ramp moments, you know, because yeah. you don't populate the scene without them. You know, like this generation of kids that are now in the scene, like those are the, the 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 kids that got into it through Blink, you know, and like those are the bands. Right. And like you need you need hopefully turnstile to explode so you can have another on-ramp period for a lot more kids to get into it, you know, because yep. that's what leads people to find their own place in this thing, you know? Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Um, I kind of, there's, there's so much I could talk to you about because, <laughs> but I always want to know why'd you guys go on tour with body jar and 10 days late? I assume 10 days late you met on snow jam, but why body jar? Um, we used to go booty jaw, booty jaw. <laughs> um, well, they were, they had, Body Jar had like a, a really good following down there. Mm-hmm. So every time we go to Australia, you know, you're trying to put bands on that would have a following and can make sure that the shows actually sell. Cause when you're small, like that's all you're concerned with. Um, and so when we would go down there, there was like the living end and Body Jar were like the only two bands 10 days i remember that um i can't remember even what all these bands sound like totally but living end obviously they were a big i really like that band i mean they great what they did and um but uh it really was just a function of like what other punk bands are already down there mm-hmm. that could tour with us and there aren't that many that can bring tickets right because they're australia small and you're only doing like eight to ten shows total yeah. Yeah. so it's just that kind of a thing 
because they you brought them here they played with you guys in toronto 10 days late in body jar were the matinee show in toronto i think you did oh shit canadian tour with this package oh that makes sense okay that's what you're referring to because we'd always go australia to it when we canada that would make sense that like like uh give them a chance we're already friends with them and give them a chance to come up and yeah that yeah that's probably what's going on and a lot of that came from like our manager at the time rick was just so tied in with a lot of those managers and stuff he's like dude we should bring them up and we don't care we're touring so much we're like whatever works those guys are rad you know yeah and i guess it's also because once again you're not on you know it wouldn't be like a lookout tour and it wouldn't be a fat tour you know so you lookout would hate us dude blink is like fucking poison to those i mean every band on lookout was so pc (laughs) and we were like Oh my God, the shit we would say. I mean, it was just fucking, they were like prime targets for our, for our shit. And, uh, I, we would, they would never allow a tragedy, like putting blink on their record label. That would be really funny. Um, uh, what I was also wondering, what was the impact of, of Nirvana for you? Because obviously like we're talking about this scene was kind of already going by the time 1991 explodes. Right. So it was Nirvana was like, yeah, it's like, by the time I heard their song Territorial Pissings, yeah, which is like a more punk rock song, I was like, I'm in. And then when I really studied <laughs> what they're doing, I was just like, this is like the most brilliant type of bleach I've ever seen. Just, well, they have a record called Bleach, but yeah. like yeah. Uh, they're bleaching the world of music. It's just like, it's like a fucking Clorox cleaner, just like, boom, got rid of all the glam shit. <laughs> like, and, and it was really, really great because what it did was it showed a very, very simple to understand raw punk rock intensity with just jeans and t-shirts, not like fucking shirts off and tights and lipstick. And that basically reminded everybody of what rawness is. And so it ushered in the beginnings of all the punk rock stuff. It's like, it's almost like the pendulum's all lipstick and glam. Nirvana goes wham and throws it back the other way with raw intensity. And then all of a sudden it evens out and you have all these bands like Green Day and us and Offspring and Rancid. And we came in that had not as much intensity in some ways, but had more of the marketability as some of this other glam shit, the the choruses. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's almost like, oh shit, we can have these anthemic choruses or whatever. Um, But with that, some of that intensity and some of that rawness, and that's when you have like Green Day and Rancid and all that kind of shit. I was I was saying I, and I think that's uh, that's the real beginning of of mainstream punk to me outside of like the Clash or something, you know. Well, I guess it's also you guys have you guys are like the MTV generation, like the kids that would have been seeing the metal stuff on MTV, but also picking up on all the cool punk stuff that would also have been happening at the same time. So it's like it's not coming in the same way it would be coming into Nirvana, where it's just like a revulsion to this metal stuff yeah yeah for sure mtv was was a big deal i don't even know why they're still around i don't even know why even people go to the mtv music awards still like why it seems it's just fucking seems ghetto and like weird and there's always all these drama and it's like no one watches the channel i'm like what is this all about i don't even know there's nothing else maybe i'll create an award show much music now just shows rerun of comedy shows so we're in the same boat up here in canada yeah yeah you know one time i was at much music and the guys from the used were sitting there in the hallway and they were, Oh, what's up? I was talking to Bert and everything. And like, um, love those guys. And I toured with them with boxcar racer with when Travis and I did that side project. But, uh, so we saw them and we were like, we were hanging out 
in the, in the green room and they were hanging out like in the hallway, the main master hallway where you come into the big high rise or something like that, just waiting to be called into the green room. Well, it turns out above them was this huge handle on the wall. And so Bert just goes and pulls it. He shut the power down to the whole building and turned off much music, yeah. completely turned it off. They never, they got kicked out and never invited back. But I was like, that shit was fucking punk as rock. That was punk. That was, that was fucking funny. I cannot believe he did that. He didn't really occur to him what this fucking handle did, but it was the master shut off for the entire station. And uh, I'll never forget that. He gets a lot of fucking trophies and medals. For that. I, had a, I had a brief stint at, as a VJ there towards the very end of much music as a music channel. I, I might've held that baby in my arms as it died as it was. Yeah. And, and uh, that story still came up all the time. That's <laughs> that was, funny. That was yeah. a moment that they will yeah. never forget there. Uh, this has been awesome. And anytime Tom, you want to come on here and talk about the punk, please know you're always welcome. I got lots to talk about. Um, I appreciate it. And uh, I want you to know that I'm still alive and well and kicking in the scene, even though people don't totally know it. Like, like you listen to angels and airwaves and there's all these different types of songs on there that kind of span, they all span branches of the tree of punk rock and people don't get that. So like the latest angels and airways record, the first song is called time bomb. That was kind of like where I saw where blink would go. This kind of progressive pop punk thing. But then like the song after that is called euphoria, which is like where Boxcar racer would have gone, you know, post hardcore. Then there's a song called Spellbound. That's like Depeche Mode, which to me was fucking crazy punk. Those guys were on heroin and dark as fuck and raw as Depeche Mode's incredible. Um, then we have a song called Automatic. That was The Cure. Like for me, the whole new wave thing was just an extension. It's all these punk rock kids. I mean, if you don't think The Cure, look at old videos when he's like Robert Smith's 18 playing Boys Don't Cry. Just a t-shirt, skinny little punk rock. It's so rad. It's like Joy Division shit. It's so cool. And um. Like we have a song called um, No More Guns. That that one's like the who for me. It's like, you know, so I, I'm just saying like I, I, people might not know. They might listen to it and kind of go, what's he doing? Or he's not a part of this. I'm all, dude, this is the celebration of the punk rock bands I grew up on. And um, so I and that's and, and that's all I've been listening to, you know, for the most part. It's like I'm, I've been listening to propaganda kicks, the queers. Like I've been doing these deep dives, stiff little fingers again. And I'm just like, fuck, it's been the most fresh thing over the past year for me. So I heard references to Stiff Little Fingers on the record, like not obviously lists or anything, but I can hear like some of the anthemic chorusy parts. I'm like, oh, that's kind of Stiff Little Fingers vibe. They're the best, dude. Even even Bono says, until you've seen Stiff Little Fingers for the first time, you don't know what music's all about. And I haven't seen them yet. But like that, that band is just fucking incredible. They, they are really incredible. Like really do a deep dive on their shit and the songwriting is really amazing even it's just even the shit that's really recorded badly and they're young is still like the angst in the the parts and the arrangements i'm on these guys they could they could have been as big as as big as as the clash or something if they would have had the maybe the charisma i don't know i'm not sure i don't know yeah, like I think it's also being the clash being the first ones to kind of get out there and 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 do it like that. It helped, but um, yeah, like the, some of those stiff little finger songs are just I like it more than some of the clash songs to be honest. Like, I've oh, I was that. I never got into the clash because yeah. I was such a big stiff little fingers fan. I felt like choose one and rock the casbah and a lot of those things they were doing were it was so advanced musically to me that I didn't like the tone. 
yes. it was like darker yeah. or more dissonant and like um i like that better now as i as you as you're looking for more complex chord changes and shit but like as a young punk rock kid like stiff little fingers was like alternative ulster <laughs> you know like it was a straight up like just to the point anthemic but like one it's not you know what it was it was like if the replacements stayed punk that's what it was. Are you are you are you familiar with a lot of what the replacements do? Oh, absolutely. You yeah, definitely. Yeah, the early fast punk rock shit. Like mm-hmm. people don't know that band was they're rad, but Stiffle Fingers is like the replacements without the alcohol and with better songwriting and 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 a purpose. Like they have a purpose. Stiffle Fingers is very much like Ireland's like wars and terrorism and what what U2 was all about. They were super inspired by Stiffle Fingers and and it was a political thing and they had right a right to sing about it because they were in the thick of it you know um and you feel that in the music that's why a lot of punk rock bands really do a disservice when they're just trying to find rhymes about being angry or about death i want to be when i see you when i die or like you know all these pop punk kids singing about dark things it's really that's insecurity it's like they're just trying to act cool and act tough but the difference is, is like when you listen to a band like Stiffle Fingers that has a purpose and they sing something about being pissed, it's not because it just rhymes. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. because they really fucking mean that. And, yeah. and that's the single biggest issue in punk rock bands today is they don't know who they are. So they're just trying to fit in or try to sound a certain way. And I'm not trying to say I know everything that's happening now. I don't. I'm kind of pretty far out of it. But it feels vanilla and it doesn't hit you in the soul level. Um, so as long as a band, it finds their authentic voice, that is like, that is like fucking heroin for a listener because you, you, you know, the guy means what he's saying, you know? And, and so that's my challenge to young bands. It doesn't matter what you sing about. It could be about love or it could be about fucking violence or it could be, but just do it authentically. Don't just do it because you think that's what's cool and everyone likes toughness. So I'm going to just, you know, so I remember Fred Durst was like back in the day, making fun of the guy in Creed. It's like two of the best bands ever fighting yeah. <laughs> like the two best bands better than the Beatles. Freddie versus <laughs> <fighting>. Jason. <laughs> yeah. You know, so you have Limp Biscuit, like Fred Durst and the guy in Creed fucking whatever. And, and literally the single, the music at the time that Limp Bizkit had on the radio was a song that goes like, I'll break your fucking face tonight. That was the hook. So he's making fun of the Cree guy, but the Cree guy was just like, fine, let's do a boxing match, you and me. And then Fred Durst's public announcement was, I don't believe in violence. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I'm all your song on the radio is glorifying it. And now you don't want to live up to it. And that's my point how much it sounds so authentic when you hear it, but it's not, you know? And so I just think as bands and and I'm guilty of that shit too. Like, I'm not saying like, there's plenty of time when Blink was exploding and I'm all, people think we're like a boy band or what the fuck is going on? Cause the marketing was going crazy in other countries that we didn't have control over. So the first thing we did, if you look at like Enema, the state went out and then the next album, take off your pants and jacket, we're all in black. We're like, you know it's so fucking stupid but it was a good record but we were like trying to take back the control and go we have more angst than this like 
you know, we toured in a van for seven years and did a lot of stupid shit. We're not a pop band. We are not a fucking pop band, you know? And, um, and so that was us kind of trying to take back our image and pendulum swings the other way, you know, but when we put out the untitled album with like, I miss you and feeling this and all those hits, that's us going, here's in a state where we thought we were cute. And then here's jacket. We're we're tough. But then we land in the middle of who we really were. And that's why it's so we're comfortable in our skin you know, at that point, then everything else kind of went haywire, but for a brief moment in time. <laughs> well, and also you gave your chance, your fans a chance to grow up with you, right? Like the kids that got yeah. into you at 17, you know, uh, as kids were able to kind of grow up and see where you would go as a band, you know, like, and that's, you know, there, and there aren't very many bands that are able to do that. Like look at Nirvana, look at the Beatles. Like there's a very short run for these bands. You guys had, you know, once again, you know, period in between excluded but even that run is it's so much longer than any of these other bands yeah i know it's wild well you know i'm just as god made me yeah. as they say in spinal tap <laughs> i'm just as god made me <laughs> um yeah this has been incredible and uh you know anytime you want to talk we played primavera sound a couple years ago and and stiff little fingers played and i was talking to the booker and i'm like oh it's a wild you got stiff little fingers to play he's like they're the greatest band ever so I thank like you <laughs> So we're not alone in our Good. assessment of that band. Uh, and uh, yeah, anytime you want to come back on here, Tom, and talk about any of this stuff, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's a great interview, and we'll talk again. Thank you, Tom, for coming on the show. And you heard right there. Tom will be back for a part two at some point in the future. And hopefully... We can uh, one day find a way to mend the fence between C6 Steve and, and Tom DeLong. I think that would be a cool thing to finally do on the podcast. And another reason to eventually get C6 Steve on this show. Oh, my gosh. He comes up a lot on this podcast these days. Uh, that is that. Once again, check out Life Forms by Angels and Airwaves in stores now. And check out all the other uh, interesting and and cool stuff Tom's been up to. He's got a lot of stuff, a lot of a lot of irons in the fire, as it were. Speaking of irons in the fire, coming up on the next episode of Turned Out a Punk, well, the next numbered episode of Turned Out a Punk, it is episode four hundred, and I've got I've got a big big plan for episode four hundred. Hopefully, it'll come together <laughs> this weekend. It's coming together, so uh, there might be some other episodes in between. I might put up some classic ones that are now. I guess out of print because they're harder to find on the internet. Who knew stuff could go out of print on the internet with a podcast, but apparently your, your episodes, your old episodes just kind of disappear. So I'm going to repost, I think a couple of those leading into episode 400, because why not, you know, these things don't have meaning unless we give them meaning. And I'm giving meaning to turn out a punk episode 400. I can't believe I'm at 400. It's wild to me. I know there's podcasts that have way more than that. But, you know, it's just me and, and longtime listeners know how many times I was thinking about quitting this thing. So anyway, I'm going to do lots of shout outs out on the actual episode 400, but leading into it, thank you to Tristan for kind of keeping me going on this thing. Many times I tried to walk away and who would have thunk it, but my little brother gives me the strength to keep going with this podcast. So thank you, Tristan, for all the hard work you do for this thing again. Uh, I don't want to say what's going to be on episode 400 because I don't want to spoil it in case it doesn't happen and then I have to backpedal on it. But trust me, no matter what, it's going to be, it's going to be a monster episode. 
no matter what, it's going to be a good episode when it does air. I promise you that. One for the ages, some would say. Uh, not some would say. I would say one for the ages. Uh, but that'll be on the next numbered episode of Turn Out of Punk. Bunch of stuff coming up before that on the feed. So keep your ears peeled. Go back and check out that David Bazan episode. Check out all the old episodes, John Reese and, and all the other people we talked about in this episode as well. Uh, and uh, yeah, in, explore that archive. There's a lot of stuff in the Turn Out of Punk archive. A lot of cool episodes. We get written to a lot. People being like, why don't you have this person on the podcast? And we're like, we did. Here's their episode. It happens more time, more times than not. You know, uh, when I say we, I mean, Tristan and I, it's not just me talking about myself in the Royal sense. Uh, but that is that remember as always black lives matter. The lives of indigenous peoples matter. We need to protect trans kids and help trans people protect themselves and just stop hate and violence towards people of different faiths and different beliefs and just get rid of all this fucking Nazi bullshit out there in this world, because we aren't talking about political issues. We're talking about basic human rights. People deserve to be free and not have to worry about the government coming in and stripping them of their reproductive freedoms and all this sort of stuff. So get involved in organizations that are, are making positive change in this world. There's a lot of stuff going on. It can be a little overwhelming, but you know, affecting positive change will help you feel a little bit better. I promise you speaking about feeling a little bit better or speaking about speaking of feeling a little bit better, try and make your own culture. It was Tony Erbo, the great Tony Erba once said, anyone can do this shit. Start a band, start a fanzine, start a record label, start a podcast. Trust me, anyone can do this. And, uh, you know, just, just go out there and you don't even have to make something to show the rest of the world. Make something for yourself. Just, you know, create, express yourself. It will help your mental health. And speaking of helping your mental health, try meditation. I didn't believe in any of that bullshit. I tried it. It worked for me. Uh, I now feel very disrespectful calling it bullshit because it's not. There's thousands of years of people doing this practice and doing this kind of self-help work. Uh, and here I am just discovering it now. And maybe you'll discover it too. Try it. You know, it took me a few times before it clicked, but it really has helped me immensely. And maybe it'll help you too. Speaking of helping people, sign your organ donor cards because they don't need those organs when you're dead. But other people might. And I've seen it give people new leases on life. I've, I've watched it happen with my own two eyes. So please sign those organ owner cards. And that's it. Stay safe out there. Thank you for listening. And I will see you on the next episode.